fire rescue, EMS, law enforcement. These are the three components of public safety, and those who answer the call are the first responders. Welcome to another episode of Five Alarm Task Force, news and issues for today's first responders with your host, Steve Green. Five Alarm Task Force presents some of the best instructors and mentors in public safety today to educate, elucidate, and entertain. No topic is out of bounds and every opinion has value. Five Alarm Task Force is brought to you by Insight Fire Training, LLC, your best bet for fire service, thermal imaging, camera training, and by the Firehouse Tribune, where you can expand your horizons in emergency services and learn to work hard, stay safe, and live inspired. And our promotional partners, Dalmatian Productions, Chief Miller Products and Sites, Hennessy Distributing, your source for the cool towel, the Firefighter Cancer Foundation, fighting to extinguish firefighter cancer since 2004, the Firefighter Cancer Sport Network, Nesta Bars, and the 2019 Great Florida Fire School. Remember, our ultimate goal is for you to be safe and return home after every call. So insert those earphones or turn up those speakers. The Five Alarm Task Force is being dispatched right now. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, or good night. Whenever you listen, welcome to another episode of Five Alarm Task Force, news and issues for today's first responders. I'm your host, Steve Green. My guest today is Mr. Bill Miller, who is an EMS and a hazmat specialist. And Bill will be talking about two key areas. One is ops for the first due apparatus that shows up at a hazmat scene, because that's probably not going to be the hazmat team itself. And two, developing a team that's more than just a name. So Bill will join us in just a few moments. First, we have to take care of our little podcast business. And we want to tell you that if this is your first time with us, we welcome you. We're glad to have you with us. And if you'd like to catch up and binge a little bit on our other podcasts, you can find them all at our website, www.dalmatianproductions.tv. Okay, remember to put .tv, not .com. And that's where you'll find us. And you hit the podcast tab. And you'll have our whole library there in front of you. And while you're on a website, feel free to sign up for our newsletter. That's on the homepage. Just put in your email. We do not sell our email list. We do not give our email addresses away. They stay stored up in our computer and would only be released if legally required. So we have newsletters only come out several times a year. There's not a lot of spam or anything like that. And it's about news about podcasts. And we have a special podcast coming up next week and uh, those type of items. If you follow us on Facebook at forward slash DalmatProd or forward slash DalmatProdFire, please make sure you like us on either page or both pages if you like, and leave us a note or something. Be in touch with us through Facebook. Uh, And also, by the way, if you follow us only through the podcast and you listen to us on your favorite podcast platform, most of those platforms have a way for you to rate us. And so we really need you to give us a great, maybe a five-star rating, please, and great comments because the platforms look at that as how they're going to expose other people to the name of our podcast. And that's how they rank us. So the more great ratings we have and the more great comments, the higher we have in those rankings and the easier it is for others to find us. And if you really enjoy the podcast and you want to share it with others in a meaningful way, you can do so by visiting our very small, very teeny tiny uh, uh, store for our products for Five Alarm Task Force at bit.ly forward slash Dalmat store with our friends from Teespring. And we have several t-shirts and a couple of mugs that you can purchase there. And a significant portion of the proceeds from the sales of those T-shirts and mugs is donated to the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation. We have another check actually coming up from the proceeds of that sales and the proceeds from uh, my book that's available on um, Amazon, Fish Out of Water, Two Jewish Guys in a Deep South Firehouse. All those royalties have gone to the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation as well. So we hope you'll help yourself to a nice t-shirt or a mug and at the same time help a wonderful organization that really truly supports the men and women of the fire service. And that's it. That's all our business. So we're going to be right back with our guest Bill Miller right after these words. Please stay tuned. 
New technology for the fire service seems to appear almost every day, and that technology demands a learning curve, especially if we're talking about thermal imaging cameras. That's where Insight Fire Training LLC is your best bet. With an excellent reputation across the U.S., Insight Fire Training will meet all your TIC training needs. Their curriculum is peer-reviewed and has been used internationally. Their instructors are Level 1 Thermography Certified, and they have taught in 33 states and 4 countries. Their courses run from introductory to training the trainers. Courses are available online, for the classroom, classroom hybrid, and even live fire. Insight Training LLC is proficient in over 40 thermal imaging cameras, so you feel confident they will know your make and model. Best of all, programs are customized to your specific needs and their cadre of fire service veterans are vetted craftsmen of Project Kill the Flashover. They are so proficient that they have trained tick manufacturers on how to best use and sell their own product. That's Insight Fire Training, LLC. Look them up on InsightTrainingLLC.com. Your best bet for tick training. Would you like to meet up with Andy and the team from Insight Training? Well, 2019 is the year to do it. He is part of their upcoming schedule. June 5th, a free situational awareness webinar sponsored by FLIR. Watch Insight Training page on Facebook for the registration link. June 14th, an eight-hour tactical thermal imaging classroom session in North Metro, Colorado. June 19th to the 23rd, family camp in Black Mountain, North Carolina. Instructor Andy Starnes will be leading firefighter-based family devotions each day. June 27th, enhanced search methodology at the Buckhannon Fire Department in West Virginia. July 18th, Firehouse Table presents Andy Starnes in an online Zoom webinar. Check Facebook for more details. And August 10th, a 10-hour tactical thermal imaging seminar at 5450 Wyatt Earp. Watch Facebook for more details. Remember, Insight Training, your best bet for tick training. The Firehouse Tribune, where inspiration was forged by those who came before us, opening the doors for us to build a path, a path to share our mission with the rest of the emergency service world. With a small, tight-knit team of first responders dedicated to sharing experiences and knowledge, we constantly strive to provide our followers with thought-provoking content from all aspects of emergency services and life. Our contributors speak at top fire and EMS conferences in the country. They have been guests on numerous fire service podcasts will even come and speak at your firehouse or event. Interested? Visit their website, www.thefirehousetribune.com and find them on Facebook using The Firehouse Tribune and on Twitter, at FH Tribune and on Instagram, FH Tribune. We live by one motto, not just in emergency services, but in life as well. Excellence is a habit, not a goal. We look forward to hearing from you soon. Until next time, work hard, stay safe, and live inspired. Welcome to Chief Miller. Chief Miller operates the largest social media page dedicated to the men and women of the fire service from around the world. Check him out on Instagram at Chief underscore Miller. Find him on Twitter at Chief underscore Miller. And check out the website where you can find Chief Miller Apparel at ChiefMillerApparel.com. And welcome back to this episode of Five Alum Task Force, news and issues for today's first responders. And as I mentioned earlier, my guest today is Mr. Bill Miller. Bill is an engineer, paramedic, and deputy special ops coordinator for the Fort Myers Fire Department. With over a decade of experience encompassing rural EMS, critical care transport, racetrack firefighting, urban fire and EMS, and a multitude of regional hazmat responses, Bill brings real-life lessons learned to each of uh, learned to each of the courses. Bill is the lead instructor for Miller Dynamics, teaching both EMS and hazmat courses throughout Florida. Bill, it's a pleasure to welcome you to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Steve. For the folks out there, we met at uh, the uh, 2018 Great Florida Fire School uh, last October, but I was really intrigued. Uh, Bill brought, he was doing an EMS class that day, and he brought this huge mannequin in, one of the real professional mannequins, and I was amazed, but unfortunately, I wasn't able to stay long enough to watch him do that work. But when we talked a little bit, and then 
uh, I saw what he did with Hazmat, I invited him to come and be on the show. And I actually owe him an apology because the first time we were scheduled, I was sick and I was, we had to postpone it, and we finally got today to get together again. So, Bill, we're going to talk about Hazmat, which I think our, our listeners know that it has become a significant part of our responses that we didn't have 25 or 30 years ago. We knew we had calls like that, but we didn't have the term Hazmat yet. We didn't have a strict SOPs or SOGs to follow. But today, that's all changed. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, like you said, 25, 30 years ago, you know, when you talk to longtime company officers, hazmat was for uh, another group of uh, firefighters, specialized team, specialized equipment, and uh, wasn't really something that uh, first two company officer was thinking about. Thought somebody else had to handle it. You know, wasn't something they were prepared for. Sure. So what uh, what we've seen lately is, you know, across the country that. You know, these hazmat calls are really governed by that first two company officer who may or may not have any hazmat training. You know, the first five minutes of the incident, just like the first, you know, the first line on a structure fire determines a lot of what can actually, you know, go down on the scene. Right, right. And I think we've seen that really across the board today. It's like you said, it's on a first five minutes of a fire call, first five minutes hazmat, even first five minutes of an EMS call. You need to get in there assess the scene and know exactly what your next steps are going to be in advance. You can't, these are not the kind of calls anymore that we can just, you know, fly by the seat of our pants. Right. Absolutely. And, and I think the biggest thing that when we talk about first two companies on hazmat calls is, is to take away, take away the, the scary factor. You know, I talk to, talk sure. to non-hazmat guys all the time and they put up their thumb and they say, Oh, I want to get far enough away so that I can't see the seat from my thumb. Well, you know, what are we doing as first responders if, if we're running away from emergencies? Right. That first two company, they're the ones that are responsible for life safety. They're the sure. ones that are responsible for quickly mitigating incidents and protecting lives of property. Um, and they've got to be able to take action. Granted, there, there is some times where maybe they shouldn't take action. Um, but for the vast majority of calls, especially in districts that have a decent response time, these hazmat incidents aren't going to get out of hand in the, in the first 10 minutes. And that first two company officer is going to make it a a quick call, it saved the day, or they're going to turn it into a multi-day event. Right. And I think what we've seen, you know, if you read any of the trades, one of the things you'll see often are the new hazmat apparatus that departments are ordering. And what I've seen as of maybe the last few years is that those that are being ordered are not a standard little panel truck like it used to be. Departments are ordering Major apparatus. I know I've seen several that are um, tractor trailer drawn combinations. Plus, you have, of course, your command vehicles that come out there. So, some departments who have the funds, especially, and for those that don't, there have been a couple of great articles in the trades about regional hazmat companies that have been put together by several departments and so that they work, they have an automatic aid agreement. And everybody brings a little bit to the party. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, God bless, God bless those agents that can afford to have really nice trucks. And, uh, you know, but what I like to talk to, talk to everybody about is, uh, so you get a hazmat team there and they've got all the bells and whistles and million dollars in equipment and trucks. Uh, how long is it going to take those guys to get in a level of suits? How many, how many personnel is it going to take right. to, to get down range and start working? Um, and, and really, it doesn't matter, you know, the size of the agency. It's that, you know, even if the hazmat unit's in your station, it's going to take them a long time to go to work right. versus first two company officer and turnout gear and SCBA, you know, going down range, putting defensive lines on flammable liquid or uh, propane fires, uh, going down range, making line of sight rescues, going down range, making quick evacuations of neighbors, uh, turning a couple of hours if you can get to it. You know, the, the, these, are the, these are the actions that actually matter and actually bring value to the fire service. So, um, and then speaking of the regional hazmat responses, you know, we'll, you know, we can talk a little bit about that later on and, and how to build a team. Okay. But I, you know, I just, I, you know, I want to, I want to encourage you know, uh, non-hazmat guys to to, to kind of get the scary factor out of hazmat and talk to talk to somebody that's not trying to scare you and not trying to impress you with their knowledge, but just is trying to break it down on a simple basis of when you're protected and when you're not, when you can make good decisions and actually affect. Um, real protection of lives and properties versus when you should just run and hide. Sure. As a matter of fact, the hazmat, the basic hazmat directives 
that most people follow, we've started now to adopt that for decon in the fire service, that, that we're trying to, as we fight the, the uh, problem of the poisoning, the carcinogenic effects of structure fires, we're now using basically the same three zone. We're, we're trying to impress upon the firefighters to use that standard three zone, hot zone, warm zone, cold zone, to set up their operations on a structure fire and follow the same protocols that you would if you were at a tanker fire or, you, as you said, propane tank or something like that. And we've learned that from those of you who specialize in hazmat. Yeah, I mean, we, we've been saying it for years. Every, every house fire is uh, a hazmat event, um, and some of them are worse than others. You know, and sure. I think in the future what you're going to see is uh, similar to what's going on right now in, in uh, Texas after their big tank fires where – you know, a lot of residents downrange were getting exposures to benzene and stuff. And yeah, it was just a gasoline fire. It wasn't necessarily typical hazmat per se. I think most of us are comfortable working around gasoline on motor vehicle accidents. But they realize that, you know, our actions on these on these regular fires uh, do have some serious effects for victims uh, that are not necessarily on the scene. Sure. That are downrange. And they require they require that knowledge. They require that fluid and blood into those those chemicals downrange. And every structure fire has them. So so, you know, when are we going to start protecting everyone else? On the topic of decon, uh, one of the things I teach in my classes is about victim decon. So, yeah, we talk about making a grab, and, and there's some great guys, really awesome classes. I just got back from FDIC about about making grabs and doing the stuff that we've wanted to do as firemen since, you know, we, we put on our first helmet. And that's all important. <laughs> You're going to save a life if you can get in, make a good search, make a grab. But, you know, if, if are we going to decon that person like we decon ourselves now? It's something we need to start training for. You know, when you're doing your search training, you get a grab. Get those contaminants and particulates off that patient because that victim wasn't in turnout gear. They weren't in SCPA. And, yeah, you got them out of the fire, but were they going to get cancer in five years? Right. You know, have we really done our job? Good. That's a, that's a good point. That's something that I really even have not even seen raised before. And it's very valid. I mean, if we grab, make that grab and we're coming out all soot and, and smoke covered, so are they. And yeah, exactly. You know, so we need to get them to, you know, that first zone and start working our way towards the cold zone where EMS can be can begin their treatment uh, of that of that victim. So that's a great point. And I, I think, you know, that that bears a lot of repeating that we really do need to remember that when we make the grab in a structure fire, any kind of structure fire today, we need to make sure that we decon that patient just as we're going to go and decon ourselves. Absolutely. Steve. And, you know. You know, obviously, I, I am an instructor, and I, and I do have a company, and we do a lot of medical classes and whatnot. But, uh, you know, anybody listening, feel free to reach out to me, and you know, we can talk about Hazmat at First and Company, and hopefully I can dispel some myths and, and talk to you guys about how to be aggressive and how to actually, you know, affect what we're out to do. We're out to protect lives of property, and, and it shouldn't matter why the bell rings. We should be ready to do it. Right, right. Um, and, if you, and if you don't reach out to me, there's a lot of great Hazmat resources on these, and these departments talk to those guys and, and uh, you realize that, hey, you know, you can actually do a lot of this first company. Right. What we'll, what we'll do is we'll add that other part uh, in the, in the um, second segment. But, so let's talk about being that first due. You're the officer on a first due apparatus, uh, which probably is not going to be the hazmat apparatus, even if you have one, or especially if it's regional or, or a group of even your local people. You still have to get it manned and out the door into the scene. So there's still going to be an apparatus that's going to be first due to that uh, scene, and it's going to have, hopefully, a trained officer with a little bit of skin, you know, in the game already at that point. So let's take right. it from there. So you're coming, you're coming across on the road, and you start, you start uh, coming to your, um, your call, your scene. So what, what do we, what's, this, what's the story? What do, what do we plan? Well, you know, the, they, the first thing they teach you in officer school is, is uh, you know, the life safety and stabilization, property preservation, uh, the protection of evidence in the environment. So real quick, you've got to make a, an assessment whether or not you've got a viable victim that's, that you can effectively change. You know, if you're, at a, if you're at a warehouse and an entire ammonia tank is flooded out and you don't know where the victim's at, you know, that's not, that's not a viable rescue. That's not something you should put you or your crew in. <laughs> but if there's a little chlorine cloud or it's overturned tanker and you you know you, you can understand that hey this is this is a gas and it's going away and I've got self-contained breathing apparatus on and I can see the patient go get them that's the that's that's that's, that's the best thing you do right. um, simple stuff start a ventilation all, all of most of our engines have cause of pressure fans 
you know, if, if you're that worried about it, use a hose trimmer, PPV fan, and start pushing vapors away. You, know? mm-hmm. you got to have a little bit of knowledge. You know, we don't want to be starting a gas fan and, you know, inside flammable fumes, but, you know, we, the, the basics and the common sense will really guide your actions and, and, and help you help you make uh, some good decisions. You know, it brings to mind uh, one of, uh, one of the uh, episodes of emergency when that great show was on that that brought many of us to the fire service back in the in the 70s and 80s, and they had a call for uh, a tanker overturned, but there was no placard on it, and it wasn't until they revived I think it was they revived the driver, who mentioned that he happened to be carrying liquid hydrogen. Uh, in the tanker, the first thing the captain said was, "Everybody back away and be be uh, be aware of invisible fire on these." And that was the first, I think, that was the first major what we'll, what we call today hazmat call that I ever saw on a TV TV program or a movie that actually created a, a sense of responsibility and an action when that cap when the captain said that and of course we know that that la county fire was instrumental in in helping create the show and in the um, many of the episodes uh, the stories in the episodes but i found that to be really outstanding because we really had not seen anything like that before we had a tanker overturned we had cement trucks overturned but to have a tanker carrying liquid hydrogen that most of us back in that day had no idea what that meant other than it was a, a liquid hydrogen that was probably very, very cold. And that's all we knew. That yeah, sounds bad, right? Yeah. But we had no idea so, about God bless you guys. You know, it, it, nowadays company officers have, have the whole world in their pocket and their smartphones. Right. So even if you're not familiar with, with what the chemical is, you can really quickly Google what it is and it's going to pull up an ERG page and give you some information. Um, and then specifically, you know, now the ERG apps on your phone being able to refer to tanks and refer to guide numbers based off the tanks and, and you know, protective actions, uh, distances for blebbies and whatnot. Right. Yeah. Uh, we know we, we know propane's a big, big target hazard we have. You know, you're going to treat a, a 9,000-gallon tank going off differently than you're going to treat a girl tank going off. Right. Um, but then real quick, you're going to get some assurance. Um, and and I, 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 Fort Myers is a regional hub for all of our uh, propane distribution for Southwest Florida. And so we get quite a few uh, 36,000 gallon rail tankers of propane into our city, conveniently located to downtown. Um, and, you know, a lot of the guys have the bucket factor with them. And, and I tell them, hey, pull the book out and look what 36,000 gallons of propane would do. And they say, yeah, it's bad if it flubbies, but then look how much water you need to cool it. You know, a, a whole rail, rail car only requires about 928 gallons of water to cool and prevent from blebbing. So then when you look at the smaller tanks, you know, the trucks on the side of the road or the trucks in smaller factories, you realize, hey, First new company, you know, if we, if we can catch a water supply, we can handle this. We can prevent this, this hazmat catastrophe with just, you know, what we have on our first new truck. Right. So that's that knowledge, that's that power that you get from from the, the resources that, you know, you don't have to know off the top of your head. Use your EJ, use your smartphone. Sure. And, you know, I'm just, I'm, ble- I'm blessed that, that that's the hazmat environment we grew up in. Right. Uh, because the generations before us, they memorized all this stuff, like you're saying, and good for them. Oh, I won't have to do that. We had those big notebooks. I remember the big giant notebooks we had to carry with all the properties we had to look them up alphabetically and things like that. And you know what, by the way, you know, you mentioned Fort Myers again, and I meant to do this at the beginning of the show, but we know in that area of Fort Myers is a dear, dear friend, uh, firefighter Mark Weiss from Benita Springs. Yeah, absolutely. And Mark, uh, unfortunately, received a really dire prognosis uh, about a month and a half ago of pancreatic cancer. And uh, we want to send our, our prayers and our best wishes to Mark and his family. He's fighting a great fight. Uh, he's got a lot of support. I know our good friend Joe DeVito out there in the Fort Myers. Joe is, is putting up another uh, program where all the funds, that, all the registration funds are going to go to help Mark and his family. So, Mark, if anybody hears this, make sure Mark gets the word that we are thinking of him. We love him. We want him to get better because he is the president of the uh, Southwestern Florida Fools Association. We, we need him. We need him to do the work that he does in all those drills for us. So, Mark, we're thinking of you. We love you. You have our prayers. And uh, get well real soon. And we got you back, always. So take care. All right. Yeah. Now let's get back back to the show. So, all right. So now the, the first responding, the officer on that first, first due piece is looking up 
and uh, I don't know. I guess I'll let you you set the uh, you set the scene of what kind of a of a um, hazmat you want to uh, produce for this for this uh, scenario. You know, I mean, the, the, there's a lot of them, but you know, it, it, it's kind of funny because uh, we always start from the unknown, right? And right. the unknown is it starts at 330 feet isolation distance, all directions. Um, and contrary to popular beliefs, that's not your thumb. You know, that's that's a football field. So real quick, you know, protecting <laughs> protecting bystanders, getting people out of there. Right. Um, you know, using your resources, using using the using law enforcement on feet to effect evacuation. Um, and then get an eye on it. So from 330 feet away at the unknown hazmat incident, you should be able to see what's going on. Hey, is it leaking from a, is it a leak from a valve? Is it gas? Is it, you know, uh, is it coming from a, a pipeline? You know, what, what am I looking at? And, and start building a plan. And, you know, if you see something that matters, if you see something where common sense uh, first two company officer comes in and says, hey, that's bad, we need to fix that, uh, go to town. We, uh, one of our guys the other day, you know, uh, we, they roll up on, uh, fired a car dealership in uh, in the mechanic building. Pretty decent smoke showing. Um, you know, not a not a typical job, not a single family job, but you know, the, the guy kept it calm and, and did a clear 360 and found, oh, there's a propane bobtail right on the other side of where the smoke's coming from. Mm. So perhaps we should get a second line in place on that propane tank. Um, so you know, it's not level A suit stuff. It's just common sense and thinking and, and trying to anticipate what hazards are going to come. And as you get the information. You feed it to somebody who knows. Nowadays, we've got instant communication, A, for your research, but B, for subject matter experts. We do a lot of training down in South Florida uh, in, a, in a department because there are so many departments down there. Um, and those guys, they, you know, they get on the back channel and they start talking. Hey, Hazmat, this is what we got. And, and Hazmat starts talking back and forth and, and giving them the information they need so they can actually go to work. But I think that the biggest thing is, is life safety and property stabilization. You know, if you, if you see something that's going to, you know, if you see something that's going to affect life, fix it. That's our job. We're firefighters. Don't turn around. Don't run away. Get in there and do your job. Uh, because guess what? Just like any, any fire, if we take defensive measures on a fire, what's going to happen? The fire is going to get really big. You know, it, it, that's, not what we're, that's not why we're there. Sometimes we have to. But you take defensive measures on every hazmat call, you're going to get really big hazmat calls. You take, you know, aggressive action on hazmat calls. That's how we keep them small. Um, and we could, you could use it as simple as, you know, hose lines on, on chlorine leaks and, you know, in an area where you couldn't evacuate. Just the, the basic little stuff. Uh, and, it, you know, it, it, is an, it is a two-day course that I teach uh, for the, the non-hazmat company officer. So, that, you know, there are specifics. Um, but the most part, it just boils down to common sense. And, and you know, what do they say about courage? It's like courage is, is being afraid, but going ahead and do it anyway because it's the right thing to do. Right, right. So, and that's... That, that's hazmat for me. Hazmat scares guys that aren't hazmat tech. And it's, it's okay, but you bet, you got to know why you're scared and take appropriate actions based off, but not just off of paranoia. Right. Well, you know, it's like the same thing we do. We handle with a, a new a new recruit, a new probie who comes in who's really never uh, fought any much of a fire other than what he did in, in the academy or something like that. It's really, when you think about it, they're parallel situations. The first time you're faced with a wicked structure fire, yeah, everybody's going to have a yeah. little hesitation because you want to get yourself yeah. together and know what to do and make sure, do I got everything on me I, that I'm going to need? Am I ready? I'm going to move forward. I'm going to listen to my officer and I'm going to do what has to be done. I've never done it before, but I'm going to, I've been trained to do this and I'm going to move ahead. And I think that's the same thing with, uh, that really we shouldn't look at hazmat is that different that it's it's another call that we go on. We may not know every single aspect of it, but we know some of the basics that we would do, whether it's a hazmat call or a structure fire or a building collapse. There exactly. are certain things we do when we first get there. Exactly. And it just seems to make yeah. sense, you know, common sense to... Uh, yeah, no, has, hazmat, hazmat's scary. There are risks, but oh, yeah. what's different than, than a structure fire? You know, yeah, has, a structure fire will kill you just the same, if not worse. Right. Uh, you know, you just, you gotta, you gotta analyze it and judge the risks and, and make your decision and go. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so that, you know, that being said, Steve, I, I think we've covered it really good. You know, anybody who wants to talk more about first two company stuff, I, I love talking. I like teaching that more than the hazmat tech stuff. But, um, you know, I also definitely want to talk to you about, you know, what it takes to make a hazmat team more than just in the name of having a hazmat team. Okay, good. They, they've got to be able to perform. All right, great. So what we're going to do, folks, we're going to take a little break here. And uh, when we come back, we're going to talk with Bill about what it takes to create not just a team, because you could put four or five guys together in a heartbeat, but you got to put together 
a team that's going to be cohesive and is going to work together when they get to that scene to handle the issue. So we'll be right back with Bill Miller right after these words. Please stay tuned. No matter where we live, or no matter the season, there is always work to be done that makes us sweat. Just how can we keep cool? Well, Hennessy Distributing has the answer. Cool towels. Cool towels are 100% cotton towel and pre-moistened with all natural ingredients. The best part? No water is needed. Just open your cool towel pack, remove the towel and give it a couple of shakes, and you're all set. Wrap it around your neck like a kerchief. Wipe your face, arms, neck, or any exposed skin, and it is approximately 20 to 30 degrees below the ambient temperature. Wait, did it warm up? No problem. Just shake it a couple of times again, and Cool Towel delivers its refreshing cool touch all over again. When the cooling mixture has expired, use your Cool Towel as you would any cloth or rag around the house. Because it is manufactured from 100% cotton, your Cool Towel is 100% recyclable. For more information or to get your cool towel today, visit www.cooltowel.com or call 1-800-918-8323. Remember, you're going to work and you're going to sweat. Make cool towel your answer to keeping cool. The tone sound and the dispatcher announces stations 14 and 16, working residential structure. That was all you needed to hear. You jump up from your chair, head to the engine, and climb into the jump seat. As the queue screams, you take stock of your PPE, bunker pants, check, turnout coat, check, hood, check, gloves, check, escape line, check, SCBA strapped on, you're ready. Upon arrival, you jump off the apparatus, grab the loops of the red cross lay, and head for the open front door, where smoke is pouring out. You make sure your buddy's behind you. You crouch low and make your way inside, your trusty SCBA mask hanging on your tool belt. What? Stop everything. What the hell are you thinking? You see it's a working room and contents fire, and the smoke is banking down almost to the floor. Who do you think you are, Superman? One breath of that crap and the smoke will damage you in some way, guaranteed. All the soot, carbon, carcinogens, and other outgassing materials will enter your body through the pores on your unprotected face. Don't be the domino, the first person down that forces everyone else to change their tasks to take care of you. Always remember, face peace on. You have comrades depending on you and a family to go home to. Face peace on. You're ready to call it a night. The kids are tucked in, the lights are out, and the dog's in the den. Seems all is calm. But stop. It's not all right. To keep you and your family safe in the event of a fire, we're advising you to close before you doze. Close your bedroom doors when you go to sleep. Why? Because closed doors dramatically decrease heat and carbon monoxide levels which provide trapped occupants more time for help to arrive. And closed doors can slow the spread of the fire, increase oxygen levels, and decrease temperatures dramatically. You've invested in smoke and carbon monoxide alarms. You've practiced fire escape plans with your family. Now learn another important way to protect all of you. Close before you doze. Also remember, if you are able to escape, make sure the last one out closes the main door. Remember, close before you doze. This message is brought to you by the UL Firefighter Safety Research Institute, closebeforeyoudoze.org, your local fire department, and this podcaster. And welcome back to this episode of Five Alarm Task Force, news and issues for today's first responders. Again, I'm your host, Steve Green. With me today is my guest, Bill Miller, who's an engineer paramedic and a deputy special ops coordinator for the Fort Myers Fire Department. He also has his own company, Miller Dynamic, Dynamics. We're talking about hazmat. and In our first segment, we talked about that first two apparatus, because even if you have the greatest hazmat, the largest hazmat truck in the world, that's not going to be the first piece that's going to be there. You're going to have a different type of operational apparatus there with a trained officer who hopefully will know the basics that we talked about in that first segment. Yes, as Bill said, hazmat can be scary, but it's not really, when you think about it, what we first do on arrival is not that different than what we do for any other call, major call that we go on. So in this segment, we're going to talk about how to set up your team, how to train your team, and how to set them up, and how to work with them. So Bill, take it away, please. Yeah, Steve. So I guess, you know, the, the first, uh, before you, you know, if you have a team or you're reevaluating your team, I guess the first uh, question to really ask yourself is, do I need a hazmat? Um, 
Um, and when I say hazmat team, we talked about not just in the name. Right. So, you know, you might have five, ten, ten uh, guys who are really good with it, your chemistry nuts, and, and that's all well and good. But, you know, you need to look at your regional assets and how you're going to be responding. <laughs> and then your call volume. You know, if you're a small municipality uh, and you don't have a lot of hazmat calls, you know, you can have the best guys in the world and travel all over, but, you know, if they're not getting the reps, you know, they're not going to be nearly as good as, you know, the next town over that, that might be getting a lot more reps anymore. Sure. More importantly, if you were to collaborate with that town, put your text with their text, then everybody's getting experience and everybody's everybody's uh, going to be excelling in, in their response to hazmat birds. Right. Um, so that, that, that's that's really the first thing. Is, do I need a hazmat team? Is there somebody else I can, you know, if I've got 10 guys and, and I want, they want to join XYZ Fire Department's hazmat team, can I make that happen? Will that make us better as a, as a region? Uh, because we talked already about how, you know, yeah, the first five minutes matters greatly. And, and if we're going to invest in hazmat, we need to invest in our company officers. That's what's going to give us pay a dividend. Because our hazmat team are plumbers. Um, they're definitely going to protect infrastructure. They're going to be the difference between, you know, an asset spill eating through the interstate overpass and screwing up traffic for a year. They're going to be the ones that get your local college back open after, a, you know, a, a lab incident. But they're really not going to save lives. So, you know, how far away do they have to be? What's a reasonable reasonable response to them? You definitely don't need a hazmat company at every station. Um, so, you know, look at your jurisdiction. You know, can, can I wait half an hour for for the hazmat team if I've got great company officers who are aggressive with it. Mm-hmm. Um, knowing that, you know, once we combine with other assets, you know, we, we have we have a better product. Right. Uh, because hazmat response is expensive. The suits are expensive. The, the technology is really expensive. And, and we can talk a little bit about technology later, um, what, you know, the value of it. But, um, you know, the most expensive part is dedication of time and training and, and uh, personnel power. Um, mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, you know, you can buy a million-dollar truck, you can paint hazmat on the side of it, but if it's staffed with guys that, you know, would rather be jumping off rope uh, buildings with ropes attached to them, you know, the, you don't have a hazmat team. You've got a special ops team that likes to do TRT that bought a really expensive truck. Um, <laughs> and they're not going to excel. They're not going to excel. You know, they're not going to be great at it. Um, and that's, you know, that's what you really need when you're sending guys to the level AC sound range. You need guys that are really into it, that know the stuff and know how to work the equipment and know how to make effective deals, or else you're just going to throw bodies at it. Right. This is not something you can do by going to the uh, local community college and taking a intro to hazmat course and feel that you're ready to head up a team at that point. This is going to take a lot, a big learning curve and dedication. And I think a lot part of that's also going to come from the upper management. You know, does if you feel that you you have the need for the team, you have to make sure that you have all the administration of the department behind you to help you, whether you're doing it just in that department or you going to you have an idea for making a small regional company that will respond from different departments and different stations but either way you need to make sure that everybody above you is going to be supportive and work with you especially as you just said on the budgetary items because without those you're not going to have much of a hazmat team no absolutely and and you know the the states at least uh, in our state of Florida the state's really good with trying to issue out uh, grant funds uh, to regional teams and, and supporting those teams. And, and, and there's some departments that you know, they, they've got enough taxpayer income where they just fund it all themselves. Um, and that's that's awesome and that's good, And you know, as, as long as they've got the, the personnel that really want to do it. Uh, but, you know, what we found is we had a full-time hazmat chief for years. Um, and people joked that, you know, what, what is that guy do? What is that guy do? But then he left, and uh, all of us took it over on the floor, and we realized real quick uh, <laughs> the kind of support that goes into into these, these teams and tracking the training. And, and you know, the one thing to think about hazmat, Steve, is you know we operate as first responders, you know, for the vast majority of our career, so we're we're somewhat protected from liability. You know, we realize that you know even on our best day, we're gonna you know we're gonna have calls that don't go right. The outcomes are gonna be poor. Um, and that, you know, those are the ones that we don't like to talk about and you know, cause a lot of guys serious problems. But they're, they're out of our control, basically, right. for, for the most part. That's not the way hazmat entries are. You know, when, when you're doing, when you're getting a little late suit, life safety is not really a concern on most of those calls anymore. So now you're being heavily, you know, regulated by OSHA, pre-entry vitals, and, and how much training the technicians had in the past couple of years. So it's not like, you know, you can willy-nilly just, just get into it, you know. If, if the guys are going in for a hazmat, there's a lot of burden of, of pre-training or pre-work and, 
that, that goes into that, that team. And that's where that, that administrative support comes from. Uh, and then most importantly, so let's say your, your chief supports it and, and he's okay throwing you know a couple hundred thousand dollars a year or whatever the case may be at a hazmat team. Um, but then we go back to issue number one where I was talking earlier where you're a, you're a smaller city or you're not really industrial. You're not getting very many hazmat calls. Then the new chief comes in. The new chief says, hey, why do we have this hazmat team? You say, oh, well, what if? But you guys haven't turned a wheel in six years. And when you did turn a wheel, you know, your calls didn't go very good because you guys don't have a lot of reps. Okay, now you're going to have to justify all this money that was spent before. Um, and your team may die right there. And I've seen that uh, through a couple different jurisdictions across the whole state. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we, basically, you know, if, if you wipe the slate clean, what, what would be the best way? Take away, take away district boundaries, take away geographical boundaries and city names. What's the best way to manage hazardous materials in our region? And draw a circle and say, you know, we want, we want a hazmat team every 30 minutes or 45 minutes. Or, like, well, we're pushing for at least in Lake County, uh, you know, a main hazmat team, you know, the expensive truck, all the stuff that, that can take time, you know, it's within 45 minutes of, of most most geographical areas are our spawn zone. But we're working with our community partners and we're putting out fast attack units. So, you know, engine staff with three or four hazmat techs that are trained up, they know what they're doing. They can integrate it and they get on scene and they start the setup process for the hazmat call and really negate the, the drive that it takes the other units to get there. Because like we said earlier, it's going to take time for those guys to get suited up anyway. So, you know, the, the, the logistical command plan is something kind of to get there first. Um, and, and then it's just everybody wins. You know, the, the, the guys that like hazmat get to do hazmat. The guys that don't like hazmat don't have to do hazmat. Because when we talk about people power, um, you know, it's the type one resources for hazmat. And I, we're talking a lot about it at the state level right now. The Florida Association of Hazmat Responders. They talk about having 15 tech something. Eight, eight go wheels rolling right away, and, and uh, the other seven go within an hour. Um, and when I, when I started in hazmat leadership, we were on calls with eight hazmat techs. Because that's what it was. Eight, eight guys go rolling right away. Mm-hmm. Well, I encourage you to go to a whiteboard um, with with the you know the people of interest in your agency that are that are working through this hazmat process. Right. And draw draw out how many positions this hazmat team is going to take. Put in your hazmat safety. Put in your medical officer. Put in a decon officer. Put in some decon guys that know what they're doing. Put in some entry guys that know what they're doing. Put in a logistics guy that knows where everything's at. Knows how to start the equipment. Get it going. Put in a science guy who's actually valuable. And then a hazmat ops guy who can manage it all. Find out how many people you have left to actually get suits. The number for us is 13. If we're going to do an offensive level of entry, we need to have at least 13 people we need to start working to do it safely and do it right. Now, could we double up and do double safety? Yeah. Could the logistics and safety guys be the combination? Yeah, they could. But what that means is that leads to errors, and errors lead to problems. And that's not why that's not why we're employed by the public. We're, we're not. We don't want to be making these errors. Very true. We want to prevent them. So, you know, it's a people-intensive thing. And all those people got to want it. And that's hard to find. Mm. Why do you think, again, do you think it's because hazmat has that, you know, under anytime we see the word hazmat, we see in our mind's eye the word danger right underneath it? Yeah, yeah you know, and, and we, obviously I like to make fun of the non-hazmat guys at the kitchen table because they're too afraid to do something right, and that's kind of totally against everything the firemen are. Firemen are brave and courageous. That's, that's why we got, got the job. So that's not really the case, even though we make fun of all about it. Um, I, I think, uh, I think, uh, I, you know, I, I don't really know what it is. I think there's all, you can only be good at so many things, right? Sure. Um, and some guys really like the boat. You know, some guys are going to be really good at the boat. Some guys really like rope rescue. They want to be real good at rope rescue. So then you look hazmat and they say, oh, hazmat might be cool. Um, and then they see that it's a 160-hour class. And that, that probably scares quite a few people away right away. Uh, and then they look at, you know, some of the training regiments. They're pretty intense. Right. Well, again, I think you mentioned something in, in the first segment there that I think really bears repeating, is that if we can dedicate ourselves to being in the fire service, we have no guarantees of what those calls are going to be once we get on and we start responding. We, For some reason, something attracted us, whether it's, uh, our family, we have previous family members who were in the fire service or guys like me who loved the show Emergency or you met a fireman that made a difference in your life because of they responded to your home or friends or something like that. And you said, Jimmy Crickets, I, this is something I'd like to do. I'd like to help my community and, and work at this. 
And when you do that, we all know, every single one of us knows that that there's going to come a time possibly when the devil wants to dance and he chooses us as the partner. And yet we still go through and we go through our training and we become firefighters and sometimes we'll become paramedics and EMTs and we'll have little specialties, some other specialties. But I think that the folks who choose hazmat narrow that focus and they want something that's even more challenging than that big factory uh, or tank farm fire. They want they want something that's really going to require not only specialty work, but specialty people who work together as a team. Because it's it's probably the only call we go on that you really cannot operate alone. Yeah, no, and that's uh, that's a great point. I, I like to make the the comment of. Uh, you know, special operations, you know, uh, not, even outside of the fire service. So you look at the military, right? Mm-hmm. What percentage of the military end up as special operators? Um, you know, top 5%, top 10%, top 1%. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> well, look at your agency. You know, if you're a special ops team, you know, and that special ops team is going to encounter, you know, technical rescue and marine and probably tactical medicine, SWAT medics, the the department, and hazmat. You know, out of those people, how many is 10%? So you're, you've got a 100-person department. That top 10% is 10 guys. So if you need 50 bodies, well, guess what? You're getting the 50 percentile of an agency. And and I think all agencies are very similar. Where You know, you've got the top 10 or 20% who are just those guys. They're rock stars. They're going to give it their all. They're going to train hard. They're the ones you want on your crew. And there's, you know, you know, probably... 50, 60% of guys who are good, they're decent, but they're, you know, they're not going to go on their days off. They're not going to, they're not going to fly to Maryland for a class. You know, they're, they're just, you know, they're there and they enjoy the job and they do it good enough. And that's just what they do. just good enough. And then there's the bottom, you know, percent. And they were the guys that we don't want our crew. And we all know those guys. I think every department has them. So when you look at, you know, going back to starting the hazmat team, what percentage of guys are you going to be drawing into it? You know, if you're looking at drawing in the 60th percentile, you got to expect to have that 60th percentile commitment. You know, if they're not committing to learning how to be a firefighter on the days off, they're definitely not going to fly to Colorado or Nevada and, and learn about radiation or rail fire. Right. Right. So, all right, let's say we put our team together now, and the administration yeah. says, okay, uh, I, I can, I'll give you two years and develop it. You, Captain, you're going to be leader of the team. And you'll be under assistant chief so and so, and pick pick your pick your right. team together. You you pick them up. You have the you two have the final say. I'm not going to be involved in that. We'll let the two of you have the final say for your applicants. Who's going to be in? Who's going to be out? So you go through that motion. So you assemble your team. What do we do next? Yeah, now now you've got to learn to operate as a team. You know, you mentioned it earlier. This is not a one person job. Um, and, uh, recently what we've done in response to some issues that we've had, um, is, is instead of saying there's 42 people in the hazmat team, we found, we should say, you know, we got three or six, uh, science people on the team. We got three or six logistics people on the team who are responsible for turning wrenches and making sure stuff's right. You know, we got six decon guys. We got 12 entry guys. We got 12, uh, three entry leaders. So, the, so then you don't just, you're taking names and you're putting them with, with positions right. and positions that they can master. We don't want to take 42 guys and say, Hey, go be really good at hazmat. Cause that's, that's, it's too much. Right. Right. So you need good to point. you know, your leaders and you need to groom in leadership and you know, your tacticians, you need to groom them in hazmat tactics. you you know, your, your science guys, you need to get them into the chemistry classes, your entry guys, you've got to get them in suits, get their dexterity up, get their communications going, you know, to where they're at, you know, they're at, you know, effectively communicating when they're in the suit. And familiar with the tools they're working with on range, the A kits, the B kits, the C kits, and, and the special stuff. Right. So you, you basically could cut the cut the pie and get every everybody something to master, uh, and then you got to keep up with it. Right. Then you got to keep up with it. You know, they, they got to. It's not just hey, one time I did the I did an A kit and we're good now, and seven years later it's two o'clock in the morning now you got to do it on the side of the interstate. Right. Uh, and, you know, you got to develop an ongoing refresher training program. Um, you know the. The State Emergency Response Commission says every, you know, three years you're supposed to get all these competencies for hazmat, and then the book is big. You know, we have binders for every guy at the station, and I think it's like 35 pages of competencies, and those they have to be competencies. Wow. It's not; it can't be just that I did it. They right, have to be right. competent. Yeah, 
Um, and, and before you turn in the green light, before you go back to chief and say, all right, we're ready, you need to make sure that your guys are competent. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a good point. Again, what we're trying to say, folks, is you just can't have a hazmat team in name only because just because they ride together and they have a nice shiny truck doesn't mean if they haven't had a call in five years, then, and they've done just like, as you said just now, just a little bit of training here and there, a couple of modules, they're not going to be ready for the big one when that, when that gets toned out and there needs to be yeah, the dedication. Yeah. I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, or they're going to make the little one a big one, which God knows my guys have done a couple of times. You know, it's just, it's part of it. And, and, and on top of it, the best, the biggest thing I want to say is, 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 is to expect and plan for failure. Mm. Um, you know, point. when you're making your risk-based decisions, and it, it, you know, when, when we're going down range on that gasoline tanker, everybody's planning for it to, to catch fire, right? Because it very well may. And we did a couple years ago. We blew up an MC-306 on its side. Um, not our, not definitely our proudest moment, but you know what the best thing about it was: a, they expected it. You know how I know they expected it because the guys in the protection hose lines didn't drop their hoses and run, and that's what saved the entry team's lives. Right. So you know they took it seriously. They knew the dangers and they took it very seriously. It wasn't a willing really thing. Uh, but the other thing I was proud about is the guys that we blew up. They uh, they said they wanted to go back in because now they knew how not to blow it up, and we finished a job. Wow. Um, and uh, you know it was a. It was it was that was a big turning point for you know we lost some guys on the team after that they realized well I this might be a little too much than I bargained for but we gained a lot of teams because the guys were like hey I want to be the one that to to be able to do that stuff that's amazing that's those guys who came back and said I want to do it still want to do it that's dedication that's dedication to that oh, team yeah. yeah there's no doubt about it it takes dedication to be a firefighter no matter what alarm we go to it still takes dedication. And we always follow our our late Chief Bruno's advice, always take care of Mrs. Smith. That's our job on our worst day. And sometimes that worst day can turn out to be ours as well. But if we make the effort to mitigate it, learn, I'm sorry, we can't just go running in to mitigate. We have to learn, as you just said, the different ways of mitigating the different types of programs, that instances that we could face. You know, we can't be... It's almost like you can't be the jack of all trades and a master of none. If you choose that you yeah, want to be, exactly. you want to be on a hazmat team, then you have to be willing to become to learn and do what it takes to become a master of that topic. Doesn't mean you have to be the master on the trench team. It means you're going to be the master. You have to be a master for the the hazmat team. And we and I think we do have a lot of people who love who choose a team a specialty after they've got a few years in, and they are willing to dedicate themselves and learn, go through the learning curve. But we also need to support them. I don't think we just drive them to the learning post. I think it's important that if they make this commitment, we as their off- main officer and that whoever the chief officer is, and even the chief of department, have to show them that we back them up, we support them, what they need and what they do. If they get that feeling yeah, that absolutely. there's good feedback coming down, even when you make a mistake, because God knows we've all made those mistakes on on calls of all different types. Every firefighter makes a mistake at some point. But as long as the chief knows that you're giving your best to this team or that team, you'll have the chief support, and he'll stand up for you oh, against. Any, Our, this week, you know, this week, Steve, we had. Our chief, you know, uh, we had three hazmat techs fly to Colorado to go to search scene and, and do rail cars. We had two techs in a hazmat night class for a week. Um, and then we had two hazmat techs in an FBI criminal epidemiologist class for a week. All one week. We're, you know, we're a hundred and some odd guy department. We're not a big department. Right. But, you know, the chief, the chief puts it out there. Um, and then just to touch on the, you know, the mistakes, like you're saying, you know, when we go back to making the team, you know, we said everybody's going to make mistakes, and that's true. I don't think anybody's going to master anything without screwing it up once or twice. Exactly. I prefer not to blow up gasoline tankers to, to learn our lesson. But the fact <laughs> of the matter is, um, you know, if if you're not getting the calls, you're not making the mistakes, and if you're not making mistakes, you you can never master it. Right. So you know, when we all join together and we all learn from each other's mistakes, that's 
that's where we get true greatness and true success. And, and, um, you know, that's, that, that's, that's who I want responded to my family is people that have been there and done that, not just talked about it, not just read a book. Um, and, and that's the basis of that hazmat unit for that region or that city or that County is, you know, are they getting the work? Are they getting the support? Um, and do they have the right people in the right places? So the rest is all just money. And, and I think we can, you can find that through a variety of places. Right. Right. Well, that's, I think that's a, a great, um, uh, way to, to look at it. And for our listeners, you know, if you're, you know, you know what, if your department does have a, uh, a hazmat, uh, unit, I'd love to hear about it. And I could do a follow up on this podcast with some of your comments. So if you do have a hazmat unit, whether it's your department or it's a regional thing, drop me a line at dalmadprod.com and I'll share that with Bill. And maybe, uh, you know, after the summer, we can get together again and I'll, we'll talk about the, uh, the various units that have written in and we'll learn from what you do. And we can share that with the listenership. You know, luckily we have a lot of listeners. We have listeners in, uh, uh, across more than 40 countries in the world. I've been surprised with some of the countries that we our listeners pop up from in our when we look at the metrics. But it's great. It's gratifying to know that there are firefighters in other countries listening to what we talk about here. And so we'd love to learn more about your hazmat organization, your team, and let us know. Again, it's Dalmat Prod. D-A-L-M-A-T-P-R-O-D at Outlook.com. And I'll create a file. I'll share it with Bill. And in a couple of months, we'll try to get Bill back and we'll start talking about your teams. We'll, you know, this team is Denver and this team is Boston. And we'll we'll go over some of the stuff that you've provided. And uh, we'll bring across across the country or across other other countries as well. So we we can do that. So, Bill, thank you very much for taking time. I know you're you are squashed uh, for every minute in the day that you're not that you're not asleep, and I thank you so much for jumping in on this uh, real fast to uh, get this podcast put together. And I think it was a great topic uh, since we started at the beginning, as opposed to jumping in and let's say, okay, today we're going to talk about responding to a hydrogen sulfide leak. Yeah, you know that that probably would have taken some people yeah. to get them to turn around the other way. So let's start. We start at the very beginning, and that's a great place to start, as the song says. Let's hear from some of you. We'll revisit this with your information. Uh, make sure you get permission to use the name. If you don't want to use your, your department name, that's fine. Just tell us you know, a general locale. I'm in the Northeast or in the Northwest, and we'll talk about that then. But, Bill, again, our sincere thanks for uh, the time that you put in, and uh, thanks for everything you do for the people in the greater Fort Myers area. Uh, both in EMS and in firefighting and hazmat. It was great to meet you at the fire school. Hopefully you'll uh, be there again this year as well. And uh, we wish you all the yeah, best. I'm hoping to. Great. Good. Look forward Thank to Thank you, Steve. To I appreciate that. it. All right. Folks, we'll be right back right after these words. Please stay tuned. You are listening to Five Alarm Task Force, news and issues for today's first responders. It's Thursday night, and you're grabbing drinks with some friends. Started off with a pitcher for the table, which quickly becomes two. There's pool. And there's the photo booth. All right, everybody, squeeze in. Say cheese. Followed naturally by an order of wings. And another. Can we get some extra ranch sauce? Then there's the ceremonial nightcap. So what are we doing this weekend? And lastly... It's back to the car, which, if you're buzzed, could be the most expensive night of your life. Getting pulled over for buzz driving could cost you around $10,000 in fines, legal fees, and increased insurance rates. Nothing kills a buzz like getting pulled over for buzz driving, because buzz driving is drunk driving. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Psst. Yeah, you. It's me. Your heart. Listen to me. We've got to talk. High blood pressure is serious. And yours? Whoa. What happened to us? We used to be so much more active. 
but lately you've been ignoring me. I know you think I'm just gonna keep ticking away forever, but you're wrong. You can do so much more to control your high blood pressure. Doing the minimum isn't doing enough. I'm under a lot of pressure and can quit whenever I want. Bet you didn't know that. But I like my job. Just treat me better. Check on me. Give me something green to nibble on every once in a while. And maybe we can do some exercise on occasion. Let's get to it. After all, we're in this together. Listen to your heart. Don't let it quit on you. High blood pressure can lead to a stroke, heart attack, or death. Get your blood pressure to a healthy range before it's too late. Find out how at heart.org slash blood pressure. Check change control. A message from the American Heart Association, the American Stroke Association, and the Ad Council. Hi, this is Steve. I hope you enjoyed this podcast with Bill Miller and learning about hazmat and if you're the first do apparatus at a hazmat scene, what to do and how to set up your own team. As you heard at the end, we also would be very interested in hearing back from our listeners wherever you are in the United States, Canada, or in Europe, Asia, if you have a hazmat team and how it works, how it comes together, uh, is there ongoing training, is there practice, etc. So if you'd like to participate and hopefully generate another show in the fall with Bill, please send us a note at dalmatprod at outlook.com. Again, that's dalmatprod at outlook.com. Also, by now, hopefully, if you're regular listeners, you've heard the special panel podcast we did with uh, our chiefs and our safety expert, Steve Austin, regarding responding to emergencies on active roadways. We'd like to hear from you on that too. Does your department have a blocking program? What is it? How do you block and how do you move into a scene on an active roadway? Again, this is not just talking about superhighways or interstates. We're talking about from the small little two-lane rural road all the way up to those big interstates. But if you do have a blocking program, we'd like to hear about it. Please send us an email to dalmatproductoutlook.com. If you want to share your department name, fine. If you don't, just explain to us what kind of a blocking program you have. Does it work? Has Have you found it successful? Did you incorporate or have you incorporated any of the ideas that the Chiefs presented during the podcast? So that's going to be up to you. We need to hear from you. We want to do follow-up on these shows. We feel they're very important. And the only and the best way for us to do this follow-up is to hear from you, our listeners. So again, you can always reach us at dalmatprod at outlook.com. That's dalmatprod at outlook.com. You can help us create our shows coming up this fall. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and stay well. And this has been my view. Have you ever thought about what brought you to the fire service? For some, it was our parents or grandparents. You know, a family thing. For others, it was the flashing red lights and that screaming siren. Me? I hadn't even thought about it. See, I planned on becoming a rabbi. A rabbi? That's right. But somewhere along the way to that goal, I wound up in bunker gear and riding a tailboard. Not only that, it happened with the fire department and the Southern Bible Belt. Sounds crazy, right? Well, if you like to read stories about the fire service and want to know how a kid from Boston wound up as a volunteer firefighter in North Carolina, pick up an electronic copy of my book, Fish Out of Water, Two Jewish Guys in a Deep South Fire Department, on Amazon. I tell my story of growing up and thinking I knew where I was going, but a turn of events brings me to North Carolina with a combination fire department just a mile down the road from my home. Stranger still is the fact that when being voted in, the guy I sat next to was also Jewish. And 40 years later, he's still my best friend and a business partner. Together, we share stories from being rookies to exciting calls, some firehouse fun and difficult responses. Read about some tactics that were way ahead of their time and others that we probably never would use again. Just go to bit.ly forward slash NC firefighting, all one word. And remember, I'm sending proceeds from this book to the National Fallen Firefighters Foundation. Stay safe and enjoy the ride. Did you know that 90% of American communities are served by volunteer fire departments and that many of those departments are actively looking for more volunteers? When you hear those sirens, do you say to yourself, wish I could do that? If you have the drive to serve, you can be a volunteer too. 
Volunteer and combo departments are always looking for new recruits. You'll be trained in the latest firefighting and rescue techniques and protecting your community at the same time. You'll be joining the ranks of over 1 million men and women who serve their cities and towns, protecting lives and property. Did you know that the founder of the first volunteer fire department was Benjamin Franklin? If old Ben can do it, so can you. Drop by your local fire department and introduce yourself. You just might know some of the folks already there. Before you know it, those volunteers will be like family. Anyone can be a volunteer, sure. It takes time and effort, but in your heart, you'll realize that it's all worth it. Want more information? Contact your local fire department or visit makemeafirefighter.org. And that wraps this episode of Five Alum Task Force, news and issues for today's first responders. I would like to thank my guest, Bill Miller, for joining us to discuss First Do at a Hazmat site and how do you set up your own hazmat team. Did you know you can now find us and subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and most podcast platforms? Just search for Five Alum Task Force. We also want to thank our sponsors, Insight Training, LLC, and the Firehouse Tribune, and our promotional partners, Dalmatian Productions, Chief Miller Products and Sites, Hennessy Distributing, your source for the cool towel, the Firefighter Cancer Foundation, the Firefighter Cancer Support Network, Nesta Bars, and the 2019 Great Florida Fire School. If you would like to be a guest with us or have a suggestion for a show, please drop us a line to dalmatprod.outlook.com. You can follow us on Twitter at dalmatprod or at cause underscore origin and on Facebook at forward slash dalmatprod or dalmatprodfire. And stay up to date with all the news about our podcast, Dalmatian Productions, and our blog on our website, www.dalmatianproductions.tv. I'm Steve Green. Until next time, stay safe, stay well, and let's make sure everyone goes home.